One of the ways in which we want to fulfill the mission of our church, which is to be a city within a city, an alternate Chicago, is for us to be a reconciled community of different race and ethnicity. Our desire to be a multi-ethnic church, our desire to be diverse, has nothing to do with being politically correct. Our desire to be a multi-ethnic church, diversity, has nothing to do with the fact that this is sort of the, the cool, latest thing to do for church. Uh, it has very little to do with any of that stuff. The reason why we want to be a multi-ethnic, diverse church is this. We want to reflect the city of Chicago, but the city with Jesus Christ as King and Lord and Him reigning in our hearts and our relationships as a result different. Our city needs to see an alternate city of Chicago where people of different ethnicity and race actually love each other and get along. The city of Chicago desperately needs to see an alternate city in which people of different ethnic, racial, and even cultural background, because they have something more powerful than all of those things in common, that is Jesus, actually are about something beyond themselves about the kingdom that's why we're a multi-ethnic church so if you like that please continue to come but if you want to be part of a multi-ethnic church because it's just the latest cool thing to do there are lots of churches like that in the city of Chicago so go check them out so having said that one of the ways in which we try to be an intentionally multi-ethnic church is For those of us that come from different racial, ethnic backgrounds, for us to, one, learn about who we are. Because unless you know who you are, it's going to be difficult for you to cross barriers and boundaries and develop authentic relationships with people of other ethnicity and race. Does that make sense? Right? That's why we offer classes and we study together for those of us that are white and what it means to have a white ethnic identity. And yes, in our church, we actually believe that even if you're white, you have an ethnic identity. I know that sounds funny. Having said all that, I got I to pick up my Asian brothers and sisters here a little bit. So we offer a class we offer a time learning opportunity for those of us that are Asians to learn what it means for us to be Asians and Asian Americans. Look, there's some of us Asian Americans in here. We're ethnically Asian, but we're white in culture. We've assimilated into larger culture. And if you want to be a part of this community, you got to know what it means for you to be Asian and the unique ways that God has created you. So needless to say, it was very discouraging when I found out that like five people five people signed up for this class so that means those of you that are asian american you sitting there going i know what it means for me to be an asian american in the context of multi-ethnic community matter of fact peter i could teach you a thing or two so no thank you i don't need that if that's the case great but five people come on now so maybe it was a misunderstanding. Maybe you didn't know what the class was about. I'm telling you, if you're an Asian American and you're serious about being a part of a multi-ethnic community, <laughs> why are you laughing? Why is that funny? How's that funny? Our first class starts today at 12.30. 12.30. Even if you can't make it today, if you can make it today, go. If you can't make it today, please email, call the church office and say, I'm interested in that. It's 12.30 for the next four weeks, four or five weeks. Asian Americans, please attend this class. 
I know there are a lot of us, and we, we, we kind of like to be comfortable in, 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 in us, but please, learn about your culture. Learn about your ethnicity and why it's important, okay? Uh, moving on, I, I picked up this book. Is anybody, anybody else reading this? Unchristian. Anybody else reading this book? Raise your hand. Nobody. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. You guys read? You read? Look, look, look. Check this out. Check this out. Um, we're, we're in this sermon series, Ordinary Rebels, and uh, we're talking about what it means for us as Christians to live radical lives in engaging our culture, its arts, music, all of the above, and yet remain distinct. And this book right here has been, af- matter of fact, there's a sermon series brewing in my mind as a result of reading this book. This book was written by a guy who works for Barna Research Group. It's, 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 it's a research group that's an amazing statistical study that's helped the church, especially here in America, tremendously. And he did a four-year, I think it was a four-year study, interviewing thousands and thousands of Christians and not, asking about why, why, Christianity in America, essentially, is disconnecting and is irrelevant to the larger culture. Now, if that doesn't want to make you want to pick up this book. In other words, this is research of people and their perception of you. This is what they think of you, our culture. Furthermore, let me say this, it's specifically focused in on 16 to 32-year-olds. And for those of us that are younger than that or older than that, uh, just hang in there for a moment with me because this will be relevant to you. Because that's the least church group in America, less than 2%. They say something like 30 million people in America are between the ages of 16 to 32. And less than 2% of the people actually attend church on a regular basis. So here's what they said about you. You ready? They asked those folks who are non-Christians, don't go to church. What do you think of Christians? What characteristic traits come to mind? What do you think they said? I just ask. Hypocritical. Oh, that would be number three, Deborah. Yes, that would be number three. Listen to this. Overwhelming majority said, when they think of Christianity Christians, immediately majority, 91% said, anti-homosexual. And the reason why that's powerful and discouraging at the same time is overwhelmingly, the church and Christians in America are known for what we oppose, what we are against, and not what we're for. I have no idea what we're for. And they say, what are Christians against? Oh, let me tell you what they're against. Let me tell you what they oppose. And then, secondly, judgmental. That's what they think of you and me, us. We're judgmental. Third is hypocritical, saying one thing, doing another, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Four, old-fashioned. Five, too involved in politics. I wonder why. Five, out of touch with reality. It's just depressing reading this. Out of touch with reality. Six, insensitive to others. Seven, boring. (laughs) Eight, not accepting of other faiths. 
And last was confusing. How did we get here? How did we get to this place? By the way, does this surprise you? Yes or no? Does this surprise you? No. You know why? You know why it doesn't surprise us? Because the reality is, many of us in this room today know what it's like to wrestle with this dynamic of how do I as a Christian live a distinct godly Christian life and yet at the same time engage the culture around me. The reality is many of us have grown up and we think our perspective for many of us, especially that have grown up in churches, one of two things. We either assimilate into the larger culture, which many of us have done. So as a result, there's nothing different, nothing distinct about us. Or the other option is we separate, we withdraw. And many of us, unfortunately, are at this place of going, is there a third option besides assimilating into the larger culture and separating The question that we're asking is, how do we live this life in such a way that we're not just asking, okay, there's the line, there's the boundary of what it means to be worldly, what it means to sort of assimilate, and so my job is to stay as far back as I possibly can. That's not just the question. The issue is, not only are we asking how far, but the question that we need to ask is, how do I engage the culture faithfully? How do I engage the culture critically? How do I engage the world around me, the society around me in a way that it's winsome, it's influential, that it's attractive to those who are non-Christians? That's hard, isn't it? I mean, if I were to take a random poll today and ask you guys, how many of you guys feel like you've just assimilated And I say, how many of you guys feel like you've separated, you've withdrawn? And then the third question, how many of you guys feel like you're living in that distinct balance and you're doing well? Reality is for most of us, that third, finding that balance, well, that's hard. You guys, we need to ask this question because if we're perceived as anti-everything, judgmental, hypocritical, boring, irrelevant, insensitive, so on and so forth, Because we don't know what it means to engage the culture, live in the world, but be not of it. If we don't know what it means to live as salt and light as we sing about every second moment, every day of our lives, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, down the streets, if we don't know what it means, we are losing millions and millions of people who will be attracted to Jesus because they think that Christianity and the church and Christians have very little to offer. We're studying the book of Daniel. Daniel is exilic literature. Daniel is exilic literature. That means the book of Daniel describes the life of God's people. When they were taken from living in their own land, own country, and taken by the King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, into Babylon. And the context in which they had to deal with was this. They were taken from a culture and society that were at one time favorable to their Christian views, if you will. All the culture institutions, the arts, the media, the government, uh, the businesses, education, everything. All the culture institutions were favorable, believed in the one God of the Bible, Yahweh. They were taken from that context and placed into an environment that was secular, that believed in many, many gods. And culture institutions were hostile to their faith. 
And so the book of Daniel, among some other books in the Old Testament, describes the life of God's people very much like our own today, which is how do you as a Christian live distinct, godly, influential, winsome lives in a culture without assimilating, without withdrawing? How do you as a Christian who believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life in a culture that says there are many paths to God? Why just Jesus? How do you live in a culture that is specific, biblical, radical standards about sexuality when you live and breathe in a culture that says, you're still a virgin, something wrong with you? How do you live and breathe in a culture in which God has radical things to say about money and the fact that you you embrace simplicity and you're radically generous with your money when you're inundated every single second moment of your life with consumerism, consumerism, consumerism? How do you do that? Today um, is sort of a, a critical moment in the juncture of the sermon series as we, as we go because, because uh, I've gotten a number of emails, as you could imagine. Um, most of them are favorable, actually. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting emails from folks in our church who struggle with homosexuality and who felt like they've completely just been sort of, sort of uh, outcasts. In, in most churches and they've come to our church and, 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 and they feel like they're accepted here. They feel like they could go on this journey of figuring out what does it mean for me to be a Christian and yet have these desires. What, is it, what does that mean for me, you know? And, 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 and them commenting that, that they felt shunned by the Christian community all their lives because all they've been receiving is judgment and, and, and so on and so forth and yet trying to figure that out and, 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 and they're asking good questions like, Peter, what does it mean for me to be a witness with my friends and other folks who struggle with this i've gotten emails from uh christians who go to christian colleges christian universities and uh and they're nauseated now they're nauseated with the christianness of everything around them it's like they live in this bubble and they just take this bubble to wherever they go and they're nauseated at the fact that they're looking around themselves and they're going i don't have any non-christian friends i don't have any significant relation non-christians my entire the entirety of my day is christian i wake up to christian music i go to sleep on christian music i and, and they're at this point of going i'm tired of living this life because it's lifeless how do I how do I change as I'm getting these emails today time goes by so fast today I want to address these three questions really quick as we look at Daniel as we get Daniel the first question is this the first question is how do I know how do I know that I, I have I found that balance how do I know I'm living in that balance of not having withdrawn from culture and society but I haven't assimilated second question that we're going to ask is how do I how do I how do I find the balance then not how do I just know but how do I find the balance how do I how do I find that power if you will to not assimilate to not withdraw but to remain distinct how do I and by the way by the way Overwhelmingly, I've gotten people going, Peter, when you talk about not withdrawing, assimilating, can you please tell us how far we can go? Can you please tell us what's okay and what's not? And I just go, God, help me. God, help us. How do we get to this place where we constantly want rules and do's and don'ts, and without them, we can't think and function as Christians? I'm not saying we don't obey scripture, but I'm going to tell you right now, part of the reason why the church is looked upon as hypocritical, okay, let me go there right now. Let me go there right now, okay? Let me go there right now. I, I don't even know if I'm going to finish, but that's okay. Do you, know why the, do you know why the church is looked upon as hypocritical? Check this out. Hypocritical, we're looked upon as hypocritical because, because, because we say one thing and we do another. 
We say one thing, we do another. That's what hypocrisy is. Here's the thing. Everybody out there does that, though. Everybody out there says one thing, does another. So it's not that they're going, I'm not a hypocrite. But here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. The reason why the church looks about it as hypocritical is this. You got to think about what kind of Christianity are we portraying to the world out there? What is the view of Christianity? You know what the view is? The view of Christianity out there is you've got a bunch of rules, you've got a bunch of do's and don'ts, and you do them. You're a good person. That's how people perceive Christianity. Not my opinion, statistically. So here's the problem. Follow me now. If the people out there think Christianity is, yeah, you're a good person, you've got a bunch of rules, you do it. And furthermore, that's what we believe about Christianity. We think that the Christianity and the core of Christianity is they're a bunch of rules, and you obey them, you don't do the other things, and you're a good person. What happens when we don't do a good job of following the rules? And we don't do a good job of following the rules. Can we just be honest? Do you, see the, do you see the cyclical problem? Here it is, Christians. Christianity, we think. Christianity is you're, you, you follow rules and you do these things and you're a good person. That's what we, what Christianity is. And we portray that to the world. And so they're going, you're not very good at that. And furthermore, you're communicating by your life and by your speech. That's what Christianity is. Do you know how we can eradicate the, 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 the world's view of us being hypocrites? We got to rethink what is Christianity. We got to rethink what is Christianity. Because if at the end of the day, Christianity wasn't about rules and doing them and being a good person, but the essence of Christianity is we're so jacked up, we're so messed up, we can't follow rules. That's why somebody named Jesus came, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. And Christianity is yielding our life to Him. And even though flawed, imperfect people we are, we follow Him as leader. Hold on, hold on. What if that was Christianity? That's what we lived. That's what we talked about. The world can't look at us and go, hey, wait a minute. Hip, wait a minute. Okay, Christianity? Christianity is best of jacked up people? Yeah. That's me. <laughs> That's me. Furthermore, Christianity is, it's not about being perfect. It's not about following rules. It's about Following a leader who calls us a life of radical, radical faith? Yeah. I, maybe I can. Are you tracking? If the church is going to regain its reputation not being hypocritical, we got to change what we think and say about Christianity. The problem is, We think Christianity's rules. That's why even as I talk about not a similar withdrawal, many of you are going, what's the rule? What's the guideline? Rated R? Rated PG-13? NC-17? I know X, that's out of the question, but NC's that like, where, where is the, where is the music? F-bombs? What? Two F-bombs? Four F-bombs? Okay, like, how many F-bombs? Do you see where this is going? Do you see where this is going? Drinks. How many drinks? Two drinks? Four drinks? Like, how many? Do you see where this is going? You cannot answer that question by saying, give me rules or give me guidelines, because then uh, you fall right into the trap of going, hypocrite. Hypocrite.
God, help us. Because even as I'm preparing this message and sermon series, you guys, I'm going, God, I have hundreds of people in our church who think the essence of Christianity is rules. Oh, and I know, you think you're cooler than that. You go, no, Jesus Christ died from, no. No, at the end of the day, rules. And you know what? Your non-Christian friends see that about you. Not enough time, not enough time. What do I do, what do I do? Okay, I'm gonna ask the masses, okay? What do I do? Which of those two questions out of the three would you like us to address today, okay? Okay? Which, okay, the third is, why should I engage the culture and be involved in cultural and societal transformation in the first place, okay? Okay, so the first one is, how do I know I have assimilated and, and not withdrawn? How do I know if I, and second is, how do I find that balance? And then the third is, well, those of us going, why should I engage the culture, Peter? Why should I? Which of the two would you like? Okay, so I'm going to, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. How, how many, okay, hold on. <laughs> For those of you, oh, hold on. For those of you that are new to our church, this is how I preach. I come up here, I go, what y'all want me to talk about today, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is what we do. Okay. Which of those, because I don't have to, which of those three would you like me to, let's talk about today? Two? Two? Wow, two is big. Two is big, okay. How about one or three? Okay, okay. Okay, okay. Let's talk about two. Let's talk about two first, okay? And then, okay, yeah. Let's talk about two. Okay, okay. Let's talk about two. Okay. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter two. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter two. This is so funny. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine, Michael, this happening every Sunday? You know what, though? Can I just ask, how many of you guys would like us to do a sermon series on the six, seven things in this book? I think that's worthwhile, right? Yeah. The things that I mentioned, the things that I mentioned, for us to talk about biblically about what does the Bible say about those things and how do we live that out, I think that will be a cool, awesome sermon series. And and, and as soon as I find somebody who could teach that well, I'll let you know. Okay. All right, here we go. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Here we go. We are going to look at the end of Daniel chapter 2. And for those of you that are just joining us, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful monarch, has this disturbing dream. And he looks for somebody in his entire kingdom to, in- to, to actually tell him what he dreamt and interpret it. Okay? And, and he orders the execution of all the wise men in, and counselors in his kingdom uh, who can't tell him the dream and then interpret it. An impossible task. And God reveals the dream to Daniel and and the interpretation. And we looked at this passage last Sunday, but look at verse 31. So here is Daniel. So here is Daniel living in this culture and, and, and trying to be a distinct witness. And here's what verse 31 says. As he talks to the king now about the dream and the, and the, and the uh, interpretation. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay while you were watching a rock was cut out but not by human hands it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and it smashed them then the iron the clay the bronze and the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a, on, a, on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. 
Verse 36. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, verse 39, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all others. Just as you saw that the feet and trees were partly baked of clay and partly of iron, so that this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. Verse 42, as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. If you have no idea what that's about, I can't help you because I have no idea what that meant. Verse 44, in the time of those, I'm just kidding, kind of, sort of. Verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring, an end to, bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that, that, that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. This is God's word. So Nebuchadnezzar, this monarch, has this dream of this statue. What was the meaning of the dream? Brief recap from last week. The meaning of the dream is this. The meaning of the dream is that this dazzling statue is the way that Nebuchadnezzar wants the world to see him. This dazzling statue is the way that Nebuchadnezzar wants the world to see him. And we talked about this briefly last week. Nebuchadnezzar had come to the city of Babylon, the, the, the epitome and the epicenter of education, of wealth, of beauty, of power in the entire modern world. And he has come to Babylon to construct this beautiful, dazzling statue of himself to say to the world, look at me. But the dream comes and says, its feet is made of clay. The king doesn't know what the dream is. He's anxious. He's fearful. And yet God reveals to him. And we know what the dream means. God comes to Nebuchadnezzar and God sends to us and says, underneath all that gold, underneath all that strength, underneath all that beauty, underneath all that success and achievement, underneath all that veneer of confidence and security is weak, fearful, anxious, insecure. Why? Because if God isn't your security and your foundation, you don't have another. Either God is your security or foundation, or you don't have one. See, the reality is, we need to face the question of why are you in this city? Why have you come? Many of us have come to the city to create a dazzling statue of us. Oh, so it's not just think quantity, the, the quantity of it. We're not nabbing, we're not getting. Some of you are here trying to create a dazzling, literally dazzling image of yourself. You spent enormous amount of time taking care of yourself physically. And you want the world to see the dazzling self. Some of you do it with power, wealth. Some of you do it with success. Some of you do it with education. Look at the school I go to. Look at how many degrees I have. 
And what God says to Nebuchadnezzar and us is this. He comes and says, if your security and your foundation is unbuilt on anything else other than me, it's like feet of clay. You have no security. You have no foundation. If popularity, wanting to be accepted, is your foundation, you will be haunted by the poles. If beauty is your ultimate foundation, you will be haunted and scarred by your mirror. If success is ultimately the thing that you build your foundation on, failure will not just disappoint you, it will utterly destroy you. If relationships and him or her is the thing that you're building your foundation on, when you break up, it won't just disappoint you, you'll be devastated. A gene comes to us and says, what are you building your life on? What is your foundation? What are you saying? I get the dazzling stuff. Why have you come to this city? Every one of us is building our life on something, and it's either God, Christians, good Christians, even those of us, or something else. What is it? Why is this relevant to what we're talking about? Question number two, you ready? Here's how you know. See, here's the thing. Here's what it means to be a Christian, non-Christian world. We think rules. We automatically think rules. We think, give me a list of rules. Give me a list of things that I can do and do. And when there aren't specific rules, you know, that don't completely apply, we kind of get discouraged and we're despairing and go, where are the rules? Do you see that to be a Christian in a non-Christian world, do you see that the essence of Christianity, do you see that the essential thing that makes you a distinct Christian is not rules, but it's your foundation? What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? What is your foundation? Christianity isn't about a bunch of rules and I do that I don't. This is the reason why many of us have the label of Christian, but inwardly we are just like the world. Why? We're building our lives on other things but God every day. We keep our faith to Sunday externals. We sing the songs, do the Bible study, and avoid the major sins. You know, we don't have sex outside of marriage, and we don't drink and smoke, and we think that's the essence. The essence of Christianity is who is your foundation? Who are you building your life on? Who are you finding your identity in? Let me give you an example of how this works in terms of finding that balance. I was talking to somebody who grew up in a Christian environment and decided, I don't want to hang out with Christians. And so they find themselves in, 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 in a group of non-Christians and a large number of them are gay. And so this Christian is asking the question of how do I live my life distinctly because I'm feeling this pressure, tension to assimilate, withdrawal, so on and so forth, and pass to be, I want to be a good Christian, so on and so forth. And I listened, I listened, I listened, and it was the Holy Spirit. I said, um, I think your idol is acceptance. I think you've built your entire life on wanting people to accept you. Quiet. Yeah, see, I think the reason why you're hanging around with these people that you're hanging around with isn't because you want to be a distinct person. It's because they are feeding your idolatry of acceptance that you didn't get from Christians. You're building your life on the same old foundation. You have assimilated. You're not distinct. Can I share a personal illustration of how God spoke to me? This is so embarrassing. So embarrassing. Ministry people, 
we've come to the city to create a dazzling cell for us too. Oh yeah. You know how I do it to me? You know how I do it to myself? I've taken tremendous pride in the fact that I've been able to do this ministry in the city with this age group, you know? It's like a bit of source of pride in me when people go, how do you have so many young people in your church, you know? And I do the whole, oh, thank God, thank Jesus, all the glory. <laughs> so much BS, you know, all the glory to God. And inwardly, you know what I'm saying? Inwardly, inwardly, I'm going, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know it's tough. Other people, yeah, most people can't, but yeah, I've done it. Are you doing that to yourself and ministry people? Ministry people, ministry people. See how, see how it's just crooked. See how work this is? Like on the outside, we're saying God, and we're doing tremendous things. We're working with the homeless, the broken, the marginalized. We're doing all this justice stuff. But the truth is, you are creating and constructing a dazzling self so that the world can see, look at her. Look at him. You have assimilated. You're not distinct. Do you want to know the key to finding this balance of not withdrawing and not assimilating? The key question you got to ask is, what is my foundation and is it Jesus and am I building my life on him? But that's the essence of Christianity, Michael. I don't know why I just did that. Uh, That's the essence of Christianity. Maybe it's because he's tracking with me, you know. That's the essence of Christianity. Listen, Jesus said, 1 Peter 2, and we saw this best last week. We can go there. Oh, not enough time. Peter says, come to him, the living stone. Check this out, the cornerstone. And put your trace, trust in him. Cornerstone. Why does the Bible portray us becoming Christians as stones, as stones, building our lives on a cornerstone? Why? Because the stones of a cornerstone had an inseparable identification with the cornerstone. And the illustration, the illustration is powerful when it says, make Jesus your cornerstone. Because the essence of Christianity is not, I believe these things. Jesus, forgive me of my sins, so I'm going to do these things. The essence of Christianity is, is he your foundation? And have you found your ultimate identity in him? That's the essence of Christianity. So that all that he has done for you and in you all applies to you. So just as Jesus Christ is beautiful, acceptable, worthy before his heavenly father, you as you identify inseparably with Christ, the cornerstone, you are accepted, you're valued, you're affirmed, you're precious. The reason why we try and create a dazzling self before the world is because we refuse to believe that we are already dazzling and golden before God. And if you realize just how beautiful you are, the sight of your heavenly father, and that you don't have to try and prove and strive. And God's going, you're already golden. Because you're mine. I'm telling you right now, I don't care what context you're in. What context you're in in the world. Assimilation, withdrawal. Ultimately, the question you need to ask is, am I building my life on the foundation that is Jesus? that I'm finding my identity, my worth, and all. If that is not there, I don't care how many rules you try and apply, you'll either assimilate or you'll withdraw. Is that helpful? I'm not going to give you a bunch of rules. Why? Number one, it's not the essence of Christianity. And number two, 
You can't do those rules anyway. Can we just be honest? Not very good rule keepers. Anybody calling, calling all non-good rule keepers? Okay, so like 30 of us. See, the, see number 10 is liars. That's what Christian, <laughs> liars. That's, that's right. <laughs> all right, number three. Number three, let's just go. And, and, and we'll answer the last question, which is, okay, so those of us that are going, why should I even engage? And listen, listen, this isn't so for you to be cool. Why should I engage in culture? Can I just say one quick? Artists, musicians, artists, in this, in the house, in the house, yes, artists in the house, I love, what did I just do, artists in the house, I love the fact that you're here, listen, 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 one of the biggest ways that we can influence the culture is I need you, that I need you artists to, to, to embrace the gospel, again, foundation, it's not about what kind of music can I write, and what words, what not words, what venue, it's about foundation, is Jesus Christ your foundation, then you have security and confidence to move forward, listen, culture our culture it's garbage it is there's tons of garbage in it okay i'm talking about media and arts there's tons of garbage in it i shared this with the membership class yesterday and think of a stream think of a stream okay think of a stream of culture and the reality is people are drinking from this culture and it's garbage people are drinking from the culture people christians you can try to keep your children your people from drinking from the culture they will drink from the culture it's inevitable but here's the problem upstream downstream christians have for the last 150 years or so, try to change the culture downstream. We sit there and complain, look at all the garbage, look at all the movies, so we're going to go create Christian movies and Christian music and Christian... Somebody respectfully said, can you please not use the word stupid with Christian music and art? So I'm just going to say it one more time and then I'm done. Stupid Christian music and Christian art, okay? (laughs) That's last time, okay? But here's the problem, here's the problem. You know what we need? Listen, you know what we need? We need godly Christian men and women whose foundation is Jesus to go upstream and infiltrate upstream with the beauty, wonder, and glory of Jesus Christ and the grace and mercy of God and have kingdom values of justice, mercy, and peace embedded in the arts upstream so that whatever flows from upstream that is of Christ and of kingdom, people will drink from. And I need more of you to swim upstream artists and say, I know it's harder, I know it's tougher, but I'm going to swim upstream and I'm going to change the culture so that what the society drinks from, it's of Jesus. Why should you care? Why should you care about the arts? Why should you care about society? Why should you care about the brokenness, the marginalization? Why should you care? Here's a look. If your perspective and view of the Christian life is this, if your view of the Christian life is, if your view of the Christian life is, I'm forgiven of my sins, and there's going to be rapture, and I think I heard somewhere that God is going to judge the world by fire, which is like World War III. So you got to pay attention to what's going on in the Middle East. Got to pay attention because, you know, the world might just... And so I've earned my ticket to heaven, and I'm going to heaven. And so whatever happens to the world, what happens to the culture, the society, it really doesn't matter. So let's save those souls. If that's your perspective of the Christian life, I'm going to tell you right now, you will not engage culture. You will not engage society. Why? It's all going to hell, so why even bother? Why even bother? But what if your perspective was beautiful music will last for eternity? What if your perspective was beautiful art will last for eternity? What if your perspective was that at the end, when all is said and done, the people without jobs will be pastors, doctors. Um, I don't think there'll be any lawyers, although I know you guys will try to make sure that there's a... I'm just kidding, okay? Uh, No lawyers. They will be teachers. 
There will be architects. There will be culture-shaping people. There will be society-transforming people in heaven, in the kingdom. So what if your perspective was, all this mess, all this brokenness, all this marginalization, what if all of this, God at one day will come and restore, redeem all things, put everything back? What if everything that's wrong with our society and our culture, all of it isn't going to go to hell on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a hell, it's going to hell, but what if all of this stuff that's wrong, all this stuff that's marginalized, all this stuff that's broken and messed up with the world, God's plan of redemption is one day he's going to fix it all. What if that's the plan? You know what it will do? He will get you motivated to go, how can I engage the culture and transform it with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And this dream and the interpretation Daniel 2 gives us that. It gives us that motivation. What do I mean? There's two primary questions in this interpretation of the dream that you need to be aware of. All that other stuff, you know, about mix. Ah, Do you want to hear? Of course you don't. You just want to hear. Give us just the basic essential. If you really want to study, go pick up some commentaries and read through them. But here are the two main questions. One is, what are the kingdoms? What are the kingdoms and empires? What do they really represent? The four medals? The four medals that represent empires and kingdoms? What do they really represent? And the second primary question is, what the heck is this rock or this stone that crushes the kingdoms and eventually grows into a mountain? Those are the two primary questions. First question, what are the four kingdoms and the four four empires that's represented by the four medals? Scholars have debated over the years forever about how uh, there's two perspectives. One is the Greek view and the other is the Roman view. The Greek view says the gold represents Babylonian Empire and the, and the silver represents the, 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 the Persian Empire and so on and so forth Then it comes to the Greek civilization, Greek Empire, which was the last of that. And the other Roman views, see, you guys are already tuning out. So anyway, there are these views. There are these views and they say they represent specific kingdoms and empires, specific kingdoms and empires, and we got to figure out what the specific kingdoms and empires represent because then we can do a timeline of when Jesus is coming back so that we can be ready and secure. Very simple version of that. But here's the problem with that interpretation. It's, the problem with that interpretation of four, represent, the four different kingdoms and empires is this stone comes, right, and knocks this four medals, part of one statue. Stone comes, and it hits the feet of the statue. And what happens to the statue? It crumbles and crashes all, verse 35 says what? At the same time. Four kingdoms, four empires, statue. Stone comes. Knocks it down, it all crumbles. Crumbles, and most scholars would agree, signifying end of the civilization, end of that empire, end of that kingdom, okay? End of that. And some scholars that I agree with have have, have asked the question, if they all represent different kingdoms and empires that were centuries apart, 700 years to be exact, how is it that the stone could come and crush it or knock it all down, key phrase, at the same time? You know what I think the statue and the kingdoms represent? I don't think they represent the kingdom and empires that literally existed over 700 years. And, and, and you know what they represent? I think they represent one kingdom, world systems, kingdom of the world. It's what the Bible refers to throughout the New Testament as the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom ruled by Satan. Kingdom under the influence of sin, death and decay it's one kingdom that's representative of humanity world's rebellion post Genesis 3 world and rebellion against God so here's what the Bible says the Bible describes world history this way the Bible says that God created men and women prize creation 
And he gave them a choice. He said, you choose my way and live life of joy, live life of fulfillment, live life of peace and justice, or you choose your way, and the consequences will be devastation, sin, and death. Man decides to choose his own way, and him choosing his own way would result in alienation, 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 alienation. Man decided to choose his own way, resulted in, above other things, spiritual alienation from God. Man choosing his own way results in spiritual alienation. What do I mean? We now live in a world and kingdom where we pursue idols that are dazzling, that are awesome, but at the end of the day, meaningless and lifeless. We're disconnected from our creator God. Not only spiritual alienation, but we also live in a world of social alienation. We live in a world in which God created the world to be related to each other in the context of intimacy. For us to relate to each other in the context of intimacy. Sin enters the world. Kingdom of man enters the world. And now we live in a world of injustice, racism, greed, oppression. You know what I find interesting about the interpretation of these medals? It says they're getting weaker and stronger at the same time. We live in a society in which we enjoy more advanced technology than ever in the history of mankind. And yet in the last hundred years, we have seen more people killed by the very same technology. A world that's disintegrating. Kingdom of the world. Not only is there spiritual alienation and social alienation, but there's also physical alienation. Creation that God created us to enjoy is now alienated from us, and the result is famine, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, natural disasters, and even death itself. And oh, by the way, By the way, the effect of sin and this world kingdom will be complete as not only will we experience spiritual alienation, social alienation, and physical alienation, but there's psychological alienation. We're alienated from our own very selves as we try and build our entire lives on foundation that's made of clay. We experience unhappiness, guilt, meaninglessness, lifelessness. Kingdom of the world. Man choosing to go his own way. you know what the amazing thing is? It's the second question. So into this kingdom, what happens? A stone cut out, not by human hands, but by God. Hits this statue, world kingdoms on his feet, and crumbles it. And not only does it just crumble it, but that stone grows into a huge mountain and occupies the place of that statue. You know what the rock represents? The rock represents none other than the kingdom of God. And we know this because in verse 44, God says, and at the end, God will establish a kingdom, his own kingdom, not of human hands, kingdom that will endure forever. You know what the dream represents? In this world of brokenness, drive, in this world in which culture is garbage because it's representative of human sin, human idolatry, in this world of marginalization, in this world of injustice, hunger, poverty, in this world that is just jacked up, God's plan for the world wasn't. Let me get some Christians, forgive them of their sins so they can go to heaven. God's plan is I'm going to put all of it back together. I'm going to heal everything that fell because of sin. I'm going to redeem all aspects of creation, all aspects of society. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to send my son, and he is going to die on the cross and rise again. And by that, he is going to establish and inaugurate this supreme, ultimate renewal project for the whole world. Is that good news to anybody? 
I, I know there was a lot to process, right? There's a lot to process. Just to remember, stone, Jesus, kingdom of God. Statue, kingdom of the world, sin, death, decay. Stone comes, uh, it demolishes it, and in its place, it grows into a mountain. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is the presence of God's supernatural ruling power already entered into history, bringing about the renewal of the whole world by the healing of the results of sin, spiritual, psychological, social, and physical. And the gospel is, next slide, the gospel is not Jesus Christ died for me so I can go to heaven. The gospel is the good news that through Christ, the power of God's kingdom has entered history to renew the whole world, including our culture. And when we believe and rely on Jesus' work and record for our relationship to God, that kingdom power comes upon us and begins to work through us, transforming us. Go back to the previous quote. I love this quote from Jared Tolkien. The hands of the king are healing hands, and thus shall the rightful king be known. I couldn't help but think about Return of the King, the movie. Anybody a fan of that? And the whole movie is playing in my mind going, the return of the king, the return of the king, the return of the king to redeem, to renew, and to restore all of God's creation. Do you know why you should get involved? because it matters you know what kingdom ministry is it's not just discipleship you know what kingdom ministry is kingdom ministry is counseling counselors you're doing kingdom work psychological healing from psychological alienation social workers social workers kingdom ministry musicians writing beautiful music representative of god kingdom work artists beautiful painting beautiful dancing kingdom work everything that you do everything that you do to weave into the fabric of our society kingdom values of what god will ultimately do in his rule and reign is kingdom ministry do you know why you should care about our culture do you know why you need to get involved in our society because at the end of the day it's not going to hell at the end of the day it's not going to all burn up at the end of the day god is going to come and he's going to restore renew heal it all and we will enjoy the perfection of I wish I was a musician because I can write something that will sing for eternity I'm not going to have my job when Jesus comes back no more pastors needed <laughs> at least I hope not you know how'd you get in here um, no more is this good news For those of you that have perceived your entire Christian life as one of, I've got my sins forgiven. I'm saved. And I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. Oh, man, welcome to the boring Christian life. But if your perspective of Christian life is, he has redeemed me, he has healed me, he has saved me. And he's renewing and redeeming the whole world. And the kingdom power is in me, renewing me, changing me, transforming me, me, me. And God has called me to go out into the world and transform the culture around me, transform the society around me, because as we do that, it's a preview. It's a preview for the world to see what will the end be like. It's a preview for the world to see that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. It's a preview for the world to see that's the kind of God you serve. It's a preview for the world to see that's what awaits all of us. That's what awaits all of us. Is this good news? It's wonderful news. Leave these doors. Look upon everything that you encounter, all the people, everything you encounter in your workplace, in your schools, and say, how would this look once it's been redeemed and renewed by the power of God? 
You know those people that you have like very little faith in and going, they'll never change. Look at that person through kingdom lens and go, what would that person look like if God's power was manifested in them and they were healed and renewed of all their sins? You know that part of our community that's completely broken, that's completely messed up, that part of our community that's just completely like, God, it's beyond hope. Look through that community with the eyes, a renewed eyes and lens of, what would that place look like once God's kingdom rule and reign and his healing power comes and his healing hands touches it? Hey, here's an idea. What would your life look like? What would your life look like when the hands of the king that are healing hands would have his fingerprints all over you? What would your life look like? Andy, come on up. Bow your heads with me. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe things in your life that are not right. There may be things in your life that are broken, that are marginalized. But the stone that has come to demolish the kingdom of this world it's growing into a mountain. It's growing in its influence. It's growing in its power. And it's growing in your life to heal you, to renew you, to make you brand new. And he's doing that to the rest of the world and creation around us. Walk out there and see your world. See the city through a different light. See it through the hopeful lens of our Jesus who says, I died and rose again so that all of this can be fixed in my name, in my power, in my rule, and in my reign. All of it. All of it. Don't despair. Do not lose hope for you or for this city or for this world. God's work is not finished. God's work is not done. He will complete it when Jesus comes back. He will complete it when Jesus comes back. He will complete it when Jesus comes back. He will establish His kingdom forever. Sing it with me now. Amazing. Amazing. Think about King Grace, how sweet the sound. Hallelujah. Hey, church, as we end this service, can we just clap and give God amazing hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing, all that you, all that you are doing, Lord God. Hallelujah. Not done. Not done. Not done, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, guys. Within a couple minutes, a couple minutes, literally I'm going to ask those of you that are interested in hearing more about this church plant to come and fill as many of the front pews as possible. And we'll give you about five minutes to talk and dialogue and then leave, okay? So, for those of you that are interested, slowly make your way forward. Those of you that are not, slowly make yourself backwards. Let's continue this journey as we meet together next week. Invite somebody with you. Come. Take care.